And this is Left, Right, and Center, a regular Wednesday feature in the 11 o'clock hour. Joining me in the studio, as they do most Wednesdays, uh, Robert Metz. Morning, Tim. Uh, generally on the right, and Jeff Schlemmer generally on the left. And I, I say generally because the, the show often goes beyond shall we say the doctrinaire as we try to find some make some sense out of this world around us uh you gentlemen this morning have indicated that you might have a thing or two to say about our banks i have a thing or two to say about our banks but most of it you can't say on a family radio show <laughs> uh, it's be a short program <laughs> uh i guess i turn to you jeff i think bob started last week well, what do you want to say well, just that uh, I found myself in the uh, extremely unusual position of agreeing with Diane Francis yesterday in her column, uh, the editor of the Financial Post, where she said that the banks have to make up their mind whether they want to have competition in unre unregulated industry, in which case they're free to merge or do whatever else they want, but they better expect to have Chase Manhattan and all the American banks in here competing as well. That They seem to want to have it both ways, where they want to be heavily regulated and have a, a monopolistic kind of uh, domestic market, but at the same time, when it suits their purposes, they start raving about free enterprise and how they have to do all these things to uh, compete. Um, and, and it's interesting from my perspective, the banks are perhaps the, the lightning rod for a lot of the discontent I think a lot of people have around the fact that the banks are each, each of the last four or five years, they've been more profitable than previous years. They've had record profits each year while they generally continue to downsize. They may be hiring a couple thousand people here and there. But uh, to me, they sort of sum up the whole avarice that's wrong with what's with our society today. Well, let me just interject, and then we'll go, well, go to Bob, because my interjection can wait. Well, I, I find myself uh, partially agreeing with what Jeff says, certainly in terms of Diane Francis's comments that the banks should make up their minds whether they want to be on a free market or have a state monopoly. Uh, we have to understand in Canada where we're coming from. We're coming from more, in the recent past, a state monopoly. Mm -hmm. And we're moving, attempting to move towards freer markets, and that's a difficult thing to do for a privileged class and a privileged part of society that that has had the protection, quote, of government from competition, mm -hmm. from uh, some of the basic ravages of the marketplace that you and I have to deal with every day. Um, so I can understand, in some degree, to why, why the uh, public has some beefs with banks. Uh, on the other hand. The issue of profits and uh, bank profits and issues like that, I think that's a tremendously misunderstood issue and that, that what we as consumers should be concerned about, we shouldn't even be thinking about other people's, what they make, whether it's a profit or a wage. We should be concerned with the price we're paying. Mm -hmm. And whether, if you can sell me a widget at $10 and make uh, $9 profit and the other guy sells me a widget at $12 but only makes a dollar profit, I'd rather be buying off you. Mm -hmm. See, the profit doesn't matter. It, to, what matters to the consumer is the price. And I think that's where the issue gets convoluted. The people who are really uh, raging about profits and things like that are the people who would like to see them redistributed, who don't think that they belong in the hands of the people who earn them. Yeah, you know, I don't disagree with either of you, but I want to make this comment because I saw one of the chairmen, I think it might have been Godso last night from the Royal from Scotia. No, Scotia. I'm not sure whether it was him or not. I just kind of saw it in passing. And they were talking about a challenge uh, at their, at their uh, shareholders meeting, and this gentleman had stood up and said, how come you guys make so much money? The, the top guys. So I don't have a problem with you making a lot of money because you're top executives. And the, uh, the, the explanation, and it's the explanation you hear all the time, is, well, if we want good people, we have to pay this kind of money. My question is, who else in this country makes that kind of money in businesses that 
and correct me if I'm wrong, I think every single one of the major chartered banks in Canada has written off literally billions of dollars in the last five to six years in, in bad investment, particularly in real estate. Yeah, but they're and, still making record profits. Well, that, yeah, but, but my point is, I mean, how good are these guys? And again, I'm not saying they shouldn't make what they make. That's up to their boards of directors and their shareholders and so on. But it amazes me when you hear that line, well, you know, we've got to pay this kind of money to get the top guys. Well, yeah, I mean, in a competitive sense, okay. But where else are they going to go and make this kind of money? Like, what's the competition for these people? I don't see anybody lining up to hire these guys. Not in Canada. The other thing that strikes me is that that rationale seems to apply to the chief executives, but not to anybody else yeah. that works there. Yeah. You know, we don't have to get the best tellers. We can get sort of uh, tellers who are work making the same as they made six years you ago. You don't even need the best vice president. Well, you know? All <laughs> banks have shareholders. Don't yeah, they, they have yeah, some and say exactly. in that? And, that's and, the, and, and, and I think that's so ultimately... If I'm a shareholder and I think the guy's worth a million bucks a year, we'll pay him a million bucks a year. I think... In fairness, and I agree with you, Bob, I don't disagree, but in fairness, the average shareholder doesn't have any say in it. I mean, they, And it's also become well, very controversial that there is a strong movement underway. Uh, there's that fellow from Quebec, I'm just trying to find his name in this article. Well, he was the fellow that was on last night. Yeah, that and that, uh, he seems to be making headway and saying, you know, why are your salaries going up by uh, factors of 10 you know, each year? Why are you making these massive profits? We could get somebody in who could run the Bank of Montreal and probably do a pretty good job for only a million bucks. We don't have to pay you four million bucks. Yeah, yeah. But I'm would sure they be making true. the same profits? The well, same I bet you they would. Profits. I bet you they're all all kinds of MBAs around this country would be happy to take a million bucks and run the Bank of Montreal tomorrow. And, and the, the flip side to that is, well, should we bring in somebody who would pay $30 million then? Are they going to do a much better job than Besides, how hard Besides, how hard is it to make profits when you're in a monopoly and all you have to do, you want to make more money, is raise your service fees? Well, what, people can't do anything about it. They have to pay them. That's a very good issue, and that's why, of course, I've always supported free markets and more competition. I wonder, Jeff, to you, is that the direction you think banks should go in? And, like, would you like, there's only two directions. We've got to go either towards free markets or more back towards the monopoly system. Well, well, I think it would be sort of the great experiment to go in the direction of more freedom that, or, and more, more competition. And it seems to me inevitable that sooner or later with the globalization of, of the, the, the world market that you're going to have Chase Manhattan, you're going to have the big American banks in here. I, I don't see a way to avoid that. And, and I, I don't know that much about the history as to why we have such a protected banking industry, but I assume it's got something to do with having domestic control over well, our money. Well, then we're kind of agreed in a lot of areas, except that I we guess we shouldn't, be complaining about, <laughs> we shouldn't be complaining about excessive profits, because those excessive profits are the very signal that the market is giving to all the comp competitive industries out there to move in. And, and believe me, once they move in, you're going to see the end of excessive profits. Well, you you're certainly see, are. Yeah. You're going to see uh, a much more you know, quote, level playing field, although it will be market-imposed, not state-imposed. Yeah. Interesting to me, Jeff, that you said you started to say, I'd like to see more freedom, and then you kind of stopped yourself and said competition instead. Well, aren't those but, synonyms? Well, it, <laughs> to some people, uh, some people would question whether to the people on the left always look at it that way. Um, are they synonyms? Well, uh, I think for economic purposes, without having thought it through, that uh, I meant the same thing when I used a different word. Um, but uh, to me, though, say, the other thing that, that strikes me about the banks is that they have become the lightning rod for this uh, perception that all they're in it for is profit, uh, which, which you might agree with, Bob, and say, well, of course they're in it for profit, they're a business. But what we see is them doing these things over and over again with the credit card interest rates, for instance, they'll nudge them up and up and up and up and up way beyond anything you could rationally relate to inflation or anything until uh, the government starts to get serious about saying, we're going to regulate you back down. And then all of a sudden they, they find are, all this way big, of There's a very good down. reason for doing that. They are trying desperately to discourage consumers from maintaining a large balance on their accounts. Well, so they also make a whack of money. Yeah, well, come on. They're, 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 they have a lot of... Uh, they're doing just the opposite. They want you to... Uh, at, at 16 or 17, I've got a card at home 
that they sent me these. I've got a whole bunch of cards. They just well, sent no, me no. these things. They're, I got one of them at home that's over 16%. Yep. Yep. I've got nothing on it. Right. But I, you know, I sat down the other night because I'm starting to get ready to do my income tax, and I pulled out all the things, and I'm looking at the cards that I do use, and am I using the one with the lowest uh, with the lowest rate? So I'm, you know, minimizing my expenditures and so on. And look at these cards, and they run anywhere from a shade over 7% to, to almost 17%. Yep. And I'm looking at this, and I'm thinking, what is the other than than rapine, what is the justification for a 70% rate on that card? It's likely, uh, my question is, why would a person who can get a 7% uh, credit card go for a 17% one? The choice is the not consumer. Every, no, not everybody can get the 7% one. Ah, well, there's the answer, isn't it? The, the, obviously, there's a greater risk. The person who's putting out the 17% card is possibly taking on... Uh, consumers who have had bad credit ratings, consumers who've come out of bankruptcies, consumers who've never had a credit rating, and th that's the chance to take. And still, if you take, if you run your credit card properly and pay the balance off on on a monthly basis, no, no matter which rate they're charging, it's zero percent. Mm. In fact, uh, the, the people that you use to buy buy goods from for the card, they're the ones paying the bill, yeah. not you. And uh, in fact, a credit card can be a great in, uh, a savings investment. If you've got your money in the bank and you don't have to pay the bill for what you consumed in August till September, you've made a month's interest yourself. So the, the choice is in the consumer's hands. And it really drives me up a wall when I hear people complain about high interest rates when they're diving for those loans. Mm. Uh, I, I just, it's a Because they haven't had a raise in six or seven years. People have got massive amounts of debt these years well, because we've got this new economy where we've got the massive profitability uh, with, with these large companies, and the banks are certainly not the only ones. I see Ford and GM have just announced their Canadian profits for this past year, and they're much higher than they've ever been, ever. And the world, to them, looks like the best of times. These are the best times they've ever yeah, lived in, and I, for the average person, I would suggest it's terrible times. Um, Most people's wages have been stuck in neutral for years. They've got debt coming out their kazoo because they're trying to maintain their standard of living while they're not getting any raises. I, I Again, I come back to the issue of profits. You know, you're talking... A profit is the amount that a company makes over its expenses and everything written off in a given fiscal period. Okay, so you're talking about, and it could be arbitrary, it could be from June to June, it could be from January to January. But that profit represents the money made in, the, in that fiscal period. Now, certainly in short times when there's expansion and, um, you know, all sorts of new products being introduced into the industry, you're going to see some massive profits being made, especially, you see this in industries, for example, in electronics, where somebody invents some gadget or a computer program or something. There's massive profits there because consumers are buying that up. But banks aren't. But new. that's a temporary thing. There's no such thing. You'll, you will not find any of these companies, banks, or anybody maintaining these profits for an extended, long, you know, 10, 20, 30-year period of time. It doesn't happen. You're going to see it swing the other way someday. But the economic cycle is much shorter than that, that historically we see maybe six, seven years of sort of better times, and then we have several years of worse times. Right now we're like midway, in fact, probably late in the boom cycle. The recession ended in, what, 93. So we're well into a boom time. And somehow what I can't figure out is, have, have these guys gotten a lot smarter than their predecessors back in the 60s, for instance? If you Why were, do you ask that? Well, because if... If you were a, uh, an executive of a company or a shareholder, you would take profits, but at the same time, you would have to pay your workers more to continue to, uh, to be profitable. They seem to have figured out a way in the late 80s to continue to be massively profitable, more than ever in history, and yet not pay any raises. And is that the new paradigm? Is that the way it's going to look from now well, on? Well, the new paradigm is that we have a high unemployment rate in the country, and uh, like it or not, anything you pay for is based on supply and demand. And when you've got all kinds of people who need jobs, it's just, un you cannot say that 
that somebody's worth X dollars when there's all kinds of people out there willing to do the job for a lower price. Just as well, you indicated me. in your example with CEOs. You're sitting there complaining about CEOs getting paid too much. Uh, they should get paid less because there's other people out there who maybe could do their job for cheaper. I agree with you. Now, let's apply the same thing to wage earners. I would say the average guy working in, in, a, in a car factory is making a heck of a lot more than the average guy working in pretty much every other sector in our economy. But why do you say somebody who hasn't had a raise in six years is overpaid, but somebody who's taking uh, 100% raises uh, over the last year is not raises overpaid? Or decreases <laughs> or, that's irrelevant to my position. Uh, whether a person's overpaid or underpaid depends on what the market will bear and what is available out there in terms of supply and demand. It's not me saying what it is. That's just the reality saying that's how price is determined. Okay, I want to talk about supply and demand for a moment as it relates to the banks because uh, I think you see the classic example of that in interest rates. There is an opportunity there for for uh, consumers to shop around, and the interest rates do. And I will grant you that there are some controls on them that are sometimes exercised. But right now, for example, the the interest rates seem to be responding to the market. Um, there's lots of money out there. Um, there's lots of money available, and consequently, the rates are relatively low compared to their historical levels. But that doesn't apply if you walk into the bank for anything other than a loan. Supply and demand ends there. You pay whatever they tell you to pay, because they all tell you to pay the same. And they'll phone and say, you know, they, and I actually had a banker phone me when we talked this one time earlier. I said, oh, no, our rate on a such and such and so and so, you know, our, our electronic debit withdrawal is 10 cents cheaper than the bank down the street. And I mean, I laughed in his face. Was he lying to you? Probably not, but... but it, so why did you laugh at him? Because the, the overall effect of all the services that are out there, they may find one thing out of the 50 services they have that one bank is a nickel or a dime different. Essentially, they're all the same. And I'm not arguing with you, because I know you're not a fan of monopolies either. But, but aren't they kind of kidding us when they pretend that there's... There is no well, competition I'm not gonna, in the I'm business. not here defending uh, the credit um, standards by which banks operate. I'll tell you, uh, one thing that used to bug me, I used to work for a small employer. And he himself, as self-employed person, made you know generated three hundred to five hundred thousand bucks a year. He couldn't get a bank loan for his mortgage, his first mortgage on his house. But me, as his employee, I qualified for a hundred and twenty thousand dollar mortgage. <laughs> you know, I yeah. like what kind of thinking is going on yeah. in a bank manager's head, where as long as I can prove that I'm employed to Mr. X who they won't give credit to, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I get the credit. Yeah. Now, what kind of thinking is but out there? It's not there? the bank manager. It's in the manual somewhere. Well, it's in the manual, and that's the problem with large corporations. I, I, were, I, I have to tell you, I've had personal experience in banks being bought out. I worked for a trust company for 10 years. It was known as Canada Permanent Trust Company. I was a senior branch accountant, and I learned exactly how transactions work and cash management works and, and the relationships between the trust companies and the banks. And we went through a couple of takeovers, mergers and things like that. And uh, it's very interesting. Uh, I heard you say on the radio the other day that, especially with respect to the merger expected between the two large Canadian mm -hmm. banks, that what that means is layoffs. Well, not necessarily. I know through my own experience, when our company took over Hamilton Trust and then we again got taken over by GenStar, which in turn got taken over by Canada Trust, generally more jobs were created and more people were employed because they all expanded their services well, into various areas. Well, that can happen with Bank Montreal if, and if, uh, Royal. Possibly not. And there are periods when it expands a little too far and then the layoffs come. 
But that's a market correction as far as I'm concerned. It's impossible to... history of these banks is they seem to push things as far as they possibly can. And you mentioned uh, small sure. business loans as an area that are driving small business crazy. And that is that where the banks, are, again, have all this massive profitability, but you can't get a small business loan from them. We've got the Canadian Federation of Independent Business saying, you know, this is driving us nuts. And it seems like the bank maxim is you push things as far as you possibly can until people are just about ready well, to kill you and then you notch off a little bit. I don't think we can talk about uh, what banks are charging to us for interest rates without talking about government borrowing. You know, when you got a customer like the government borrowing money, <laughs> you're going to go that way first before you go mm. for the little guy. Yeah. And uh, especially when the, go when the government has its hands in the pockets of the little guy, they know he's going to get it both ways. So... Why do you lend money to small businesses? Sorry? What's that got to do with lending money to small businesses? Well, it's just that, you know, they're, they're, they've only got so much money to lend out. They're lending a lot of money to governments and government situations. Oh, no, they, they've got lots of money left over. That's why the sure. rates are so low. But then why hassle with a whole bunch of small customers when you uh, got a few that's big customers? The thing. That's you know? the thing, because you don't that, need to. Right. Because it's not about customer service, in and, spite of what they tell us. And because we don't have enough competition and enough other banks, trust companies, like you and I should be able to open up a bank if we had the assets yep. and wanted to, but we can't do that in this country. And we might be the people that want to start the very service you're talking about. I want to come back very quickly. We've got to pause for a message. Before we do that, I want to get people thinking about this. You said before you thought that the uh, uh, the merger might lead to more opportunities and there might actually be more jobs and so on and so I'm on. I'm saying that was my experience. Okay, well, I put, I put, I put this to you. They have already indicated, um, albeit not in headlines, that there's there will be some rationalizations where you may have had a Bank of Montreal on one corner and a Royal Bank on the, on the other corner. One or the two of those is going to close. Um, my observation on that is that they don't care about their customers. Both of those banks are profitable. Both those banks were profitable with a, with a bank on each corner, so the customer had a choice. Now the customer, that choice is going to be eliminated. So I don't think they can make the case that, you know, we need to do this, we need to maximize our profits, et cetera, et cetera, oh, You et cetera, just said the word there, maximize our profits. You can say, yes, that business was profitable. But in order to maximize your profits, you've got to close that one. Quite often, and have less service. Uh, that may be. Because that we don't be. have an... My whole but point if, is we but, don't have an option. But if... Well, from the consumer's point of view, yeah, there's a problem. But from the bank's point of view, you got you got to look at it from their point of view. They are in the business of maximizing their profits. And sometimes that means closing down a company that may be profitable or... But this, is, this isn't a company, though. This or, isn't or a free a market. This isn't competition. This is a monopoly. Well, so when they I'm not here arguing in favor of monopoly. I'm just saying that, given that evil, what else can the bank do? I mean, they, they got their hands tied. I, I think you'd see them getting more into the areas you'd like to see them get into if we had a more free market in banking in Canada. Mm. Well, I'd like and that may be why we see a lot of resistance from the banks to I'd that I'd like to concept. see them pay me more money for the money I put in there and charge me less for playing with my own money. That's what I'd like to see. We're coming back for more Talk of the Town, left, right, and center, with Bob Metz and Jeff Schlemmer right after this. This is Left, Right, and Center with Jeff Schlemmer and Bob Metz and Jim Chapman somewhere in the middle talking about banks and profits and competition and all that sort of thing. We should remind you that the lines are open, too. 643-1290, star-1290, if you want to join the conversation, if you've got something to add or a question you want to pose to either of our, either or both of our guests this morning, we'd be pleased to hear from you. Can I change the, the focus just a little wee bit? Sure. Um, and it is still about banks, and it's still about competition, and it's still about government. We have seen lately... Um, not a meltdown, but certainly a tremendous softening of the East Asian economies. Am I wrong in thinking that we are at some danger from this? And I don't mean people who are in the stock market. Here's what I mean. We have, uh, I don't think we've talked about this before, have we? No. Stop me if I say something you've heard before. Um, <laughs> Stop me if you've heard this one before. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, 
as I look at it, I see I see uh, Taiwan and Singapore and and even Japan to a certain extent and Korea and all the the Asian tigers. These are all countries with well-developed infrastructures, with trained workforces, with uh, lots of plant in place, lots of factories there, lots of expertise, world leaders in some areas of technology. Um, their economies have almost collapsed. The only way out for these people is to sell, 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 export, export, export. They've got to bring revenues in. How are they going to do that? Well, they're going to do it, I, I suspect, and I'd like your comments on this, and whether it's good or bad. They are going to do it by lowballing the prices of their products. Just as, any, just as any department store in this city will do when it's going out of business or it's having bankruptcy problems or financial problems, they clear out the store. So they... And consumers benefit. Consumers benefit in the short run. Do they benefit in the long run? If this... And I suspect it's going to be a tremendous cut in prices on a whole gamut of products. If, if the effect of that, that it then destroys the competition for the Asian tigers in these areas, whether it's North American competition or European competition, if it destroys it, but at the end of the day, they're basically consuming themselves. Right now, there's intense competition. The thing that I don't understand is that we hear that when the Asian tigers are up and coming, that's bad for Canada. We're not competing. We can't compete in a global marketplace, blah, blah, blah. So when things are going really well over there, that's bad for us. Now we hear things are going badly over there. That's also bad for us. It's like when I hear that interest rates are going up, that's bad for us. When interest rates come down, that's bad for us. Maybe it's all bad. Maybe it's all bad. Every day in the, business, in the business section, every day we hear dollar hits another all-time low. And it's like the dollar is stronger compared to every other currency in the world except the United States than it was a year ago, than That's it was five true. years ago. The dollar is stronger than it's ever been except for the United States. So why are the headlines always all-time low? All time, everything is bad. Because we compare ourselves to the Americans because we consider the Americans to be the top-notch standard, whether we like to admit it or not. I but think again, some of our negative attitudes towards America are the result of our admiration of the country. But, but we don't... We don't but I agree with Jeff in saying... Not the, <laughs> but we don't want a hundred-cent dollar, do we? Canadians do not... Canadians do... What's, there's no benefit for us than having a hundred hundred cent dollar or I, even an eighty cent dollar. When I was in the banking industry, and that's getting back in the seventies, I never saw the Canadian dollar go below a buck five U.S. I mean, we were always above them. Our dollar dropped below the American dollar the first time after Rene Levesque got elected mm -hmm. in Quebec, and never went above since. But is that and good or bad? It's, it's good for well, a, a low dollar is good for exporters, and it's bad for importers. It means that if you're importing goods from, especially the currency countries that the largest exchange takes place, you're going to have to charge more for your customers. So it's going to be tough. But if you are here in Canada working, producing, making goods for export cheap, uh, quote, dumping them on the market, so to speak, that's a good thing. So isn't it effect, it's almost a, a tariff without being a tariff, isn't it? I mean, it's a trade barrier to people bringing their products okay. in here. Well, it's great for us to export. It's harder to, to but import. But it's more of a market control. It's not a, it's not a state political, politically motivated kind of thing, unless there's something political under it. But um, certainly, you know, it's the same thing with, with interest rates, like you're saying. If interest rates are high, that's great if you've got money to lend out. If inter but it's, if interest rates are low, it's good if you're the guy borrowing the money. So there's always two sides to every equation. It's like accounting. There's the debit and the credit, and everything's got to balance out. And so when you read these headlines, they only make sense in terms of who you are. And, and like when somebody writes dollar hits another all-time low, well the person who wrote that has a certain perspective. 
And well, I was, reading a, I was reading a business column recently, and it said uh, bad news from report, and it was all about how um, somebody had done a report suggesting that uh, there was pressure to increase wages right now. And the headline, bad news. I think that doesn't sound bad to me. Well, you could you could change this, couldn't you, to say uh, uh, export potential never higher. I mean, yeah. the same story, right. just different headlines. Well, that's it. Our competitors no, are on the ropes, you know, yeah. and that makes them a more dangerous competitor, perhaps. But on the other hand. We're doing good. Gentlemen, we're going to go to the phones, uh, and the lines are open. 643-1290, star-1290 on the Cantel. If you'd like to join us on Left, Right, and Center, we'd be pleased to hear from you. And uh, Robert is on the line. Hello, Robert. Yeah, hello. Yes, sir. Uh, I have kind of a, uh, a question that's, or I'd like a comment that's uh, affiliated uh, because uh, the Canadian-American economies are so uh, related. I was watching the, uh, the State of the Union address last night, and it kind of uh, perked my uh, interest uh, because we hear of so much uh, government mismanagement of taxpayers' money down south. Um, Clinton was saying uh, he wanted to build 5,000 new schools. He was offering all tax cuts galore. He wanted to open up child care, Medicare. You know, and he talked about increasing loans to the, uh, to the IMF. And, and what interested me on that was uh, he said that while uh, the projected deficit was... Uh, some $358 billion. Under his management, uh, it was projected to be around $10 billion. And I just find that hard to believe. And then he went on to say that if there was any budget surplus, um, he, he wanted to protect the Social Security system rather than uh, uh, pay down the debt. He didn't even mention that. Uh, I just kind of find it hard to believe whether a balanced budget is possible in the States. And I'd just like you to comment on that. I think it would be possible in a current, in a certain fiscal period. Again, it's the long-term thing. Uh, there's the unacknowledged, writ, uh, you know, debt that both Canada and the U.S. have. I think the U.S. is something like over a trillion dollars. Once it comes time to pay all those pensions and and uh, you know obligations that the government has undertaken, particularly with respect to uh, its welfare programs, with an aging population, it's just going to happen. But was, it, was that $10 billion realistic? I couldn't tell you. I, 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 I always well, think we the government that it was budget the Democrats is that were uh, clapping last night. Yeah, and, well, yeah. <laughs> they, and Clinton has made quite a deal about that for the last five years, well, about the, uh, the, his goals vis-a-vis -vis the obstructionism of the Republicans. So I think it's I think it's maybe a little clearer in the Canadian system than the American system as to whether you can get where you want to go. At least here, if the government says we're going to go there, the only impediment is their own stupidity. In the United States, the impediment can be their stupidity and the stupidity of the other party. But you've also got a situation where we're just we were just talking about how the United States is the darling of darling of the world. Their dollar is strongest by far. Everybody's in love with what they're doing down there. Uh, and I think Jim, you've talked earlier about deficits and whether they're per se a bad thing. Mm -hmm. uh, and in the United States, they are in a totally different world than we are because they're so strong uh, economically. I mean, a trillion a trillion dollars is a lot of money. But but uh, in a in a country of three hundred million with the kind of wealth they have trillion dollars has a lot less significance than a, than perhaps a proportionate debt load in a country like Canada. Well, that may be, but I, I think Robert's question was, do, do we really believe the deficit? I mean, we got a liberal government here in Canada claiming that they've conquered the deficit. Eliminated, and, yeah. so they say. Uh, so they say, that's what David Peterson said just before he got elected <laughs> last time. And, and there again is the old fiscal period argument. That, yeah. that, that surplus of six million dollars lasted, oh, all of about three hours. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, Robert, I'm not sure that we can give you a definitive answer. Their, their system is so complex, and, and I don't think any of us are trying to duck the bullet here, but I, I don't know what you say in response to your question. I, I think, too, the U.S. Uh, government has been raising revenues taxation-wise by actually lowering tax rates. 
And so the government itself has been pu pulling in more dollars. Funny, that's what happened in Ontario, too. Yes, it? it happened no. everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, Robert, thank not. you for the call. Thank you. Give thank me you. a break. What do you mean it did not? <laughs> it has not. It certainly has. <laughs> At last I've read from uh, Standard, every, any Dominion bond rating, any of those guys still say the tax, uh, the tax cuts have not affected our economy. You know, that uh, our economy is in the middle of a But how do they time. know that? But nobody knows that. That's the point. It seems to me, and I'm not a huge supply sider, although I lean to that side, nobody can make a definitive argument one way or the other because you cannot prove it as far as I know. Everything I've ever read from every economist is that you, if you're going to cut taxes, it will have a stimula stimulating effect as long as you don't cut something else. In this case, every dollar they set put into tax cut was taken out of government spending, so it was a wash. And I've read that over and over but again the from bottom myriad line, economists. But the bottom line is, you know, well, without you, meaning to change you, topics, you know what they say about economists. So you could you could stand them all well, head to head around the world, and they never reach a conclusion. <laughs> taxes are only for government spending. What else can they cut? Somebody else's spending. But the reality in Ontario is the overall revenues of the Ontario government are up, even though the tax cuts have been put in place. Because we've been living in boom time. What? Well, but so precisely, what? taxes obviously. When you're in boom time, a lot more people are paying taxes, and a lot more. But well, I, I don't mean to get off topic. Oh, the the greatest tax. destroyer of jobs is taxes. Let's face it. Every time taxes go down, you'll have a, a greater level of employment. Every time taxes go up, you have more unemployment. Let's greatest go back. destroyer of jobs is corporate avarice. Let's go back. To, <laughs> let's go back to the phones. We got Stan with us. Hi, Stan. Hi there. Yes, um, I just caught part of your program as I was driving in. Um, so I want to ask something, but I worry that I may display my ignorance on the subject, but oh, we here can we go. Too, then. Yeah, we do it all the time. <laughs> <laughs> it's like my dad said, he, he wants to get a one-handed economist, one-armed economist, because there's always another hand. Yeah. But anyway, uh, Bank Montreal and uh, Royal Bank have merged, is that it? No, no, they've, they've asked for permission to merge. Yeah, okay. Suppose they do. This will force other uh, CIBC to merge with, uh, did you know what I'm getting at? Corporate well, merging, and we're going to have fewer choices. Mm -hmm. Now, coupled with that is the, uh, the um, tendency for our banks to uh, push a cashless economy, um, uh, electronic credit, yep. debit cards, that sort of thing, to do everything like that. Now, my question is this, with, uh, what it's going to, it seems to me, this is the way things go, that we're going to end up with uh, a, a megacorp in banking sooner or later, or possibly two in the country. They will control uh, all transactions, and if all transactions are electronic, do we run the risk as a population of paying our GST, our PST, and our service charge for every single transaction we do, from buying a pair of shoes to a house, without yeah. having any uh, recourse? Uh, yeah, I think you know, the, the, simple, the simple answer to your question is yes, and that's one of the things that many people are very concerned about about this kind of over overwhelming information technology that that uh, some people see the day I'm not sure it'll come but some people say that see the day when there will literally be no money when it will all be electronic and then yeah the government's gonna know every single penny you spend well in fact there's been been relatively yeah. serious talk about uh, taxing transactions uh, uh, stock transactions for instance which are not taxed right now and they're suggesting there should be a tax every time you buy or sell stock there should be a, a tax on that and now they have the technology to do it but I'm, I'm differentiating between a tax and uh, a, a service charge I'm talking about a service charge for you right now oh. apparently there's no charge for using a debit card at least not on the face of it but 
if you're dealing that's with it, it, well, well, I, they I say if, if you don't like it go to another bank well i believe there is a charge for no and that's the point we, we were talking about earlier the i think what has to happen and 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 diane francis we had references been made to her article the other day mm. she said the canadian banks have to make up their minds do they want to have a monopoly here in canada in which case they'd better pull their you know pull their heads in keep their heads down keep their noses clean and get on with it if they really do want to be players in this major international market and they want to do all these amalgamations and all this sort of stuff then they'd better stand back for all the other banks from all around the world who are going to want to come in and get a piece of the action here and i think that's going to be a decision made by the government not by the banks mm. Well, I hope a lot of people are listening because it does raise a certain question and uh, should be in the public consciousness, yeah. although most people are not interested. You know? Actually, Stan, you've raised an issue that I could talk for two hours about, but I don't know enough about it yet. I've actually got a couple people working on this issue, and that's mm -hmm. the whole idea of a cashless economy or a cashless society, no, which frightens no me because the issue there is privacy. Or, yeah. the, or the lack thereof it that will come as a consequence of that. And when you lose privacy, you lose freedom. That's and, right. And, and I'm, I'm beginning to wonder if the day will come upon us when the, uh, the, the rationale will be, well, you know, uh, anybody who uses cash has got something to hide, and if you have nothing to hide, why should you object to it? Yeah, good point. That's you know, exactly that, that what you hear. I'm sure, is about, you know, I'm sure it will come up. Yeah, thanks sure. for the call, Stan. All right. Appreciate it. And that's that's it, isn't it? I mean, that's the that's the old argument uh, for more and more government intrusion. If you have nothing to hide, what are you worried about? Right. Uh, I think well, that's what hopefully Bill Gates is going to run everything because he's going to have all the computers who control all this information, I think. No, I think Bill Gates, <laughs> one of these days, Bill Gates is going to have an epiphany. My prediction is Bill Gates is going to have an epiphany, and he's going to become one of the world's greatest benefactors, one of the greatest philanthropists. You heard it here first. Excellent. Oh, I I'm, I'm going to write that down. No, please do. And, uh, and I, I'll stand by that prediction. I'm not going to put a timeline on it. Sort of an Andrew Carnegie. I, my prediction is that Bill's going to reach the point where there are so few mountains left to climb uh, in a business sense that the governments around the world are going to constrain him from getting any bigger, because I believe that's going to happen, that he is then going to look around him and say, gee, you know, I control how much at that point? 100, 200, 300 billion dollars. I have, it's not all cash money, of course, but I control this. What can I do with it now? What mountain can I climb now? My prediction is you will see Bill Gates become, as I said, one of the greatest philanthropists the planet has ever seen. But it's not going to be silent. It's not going to be behind the scenes. It's going to be a goal. Rolling Stone songs associated with every... Uh, well, yes, you know, like what, what's so why the, are you saying that? Are you, are you, like, are you saying his... What, what's his motivation? What do you see as his motivation? Just boredom and he, yeah. he hasn't got nothing left to do? Yeah, or, or is he going to be a philanthropist so that he can put this wonderful face forward like the banks are saying like you know we give a lot of money to charity uh, in order to expand his business elsewhere and I don't know that I buy your argument that the governments are going to cut cut his uh, the, the limits to, or limit his growth well they're talking about it I now. would say the marketplace is going to do that not there's if, he, a, not if he's only got a whole department at the Justice Department working on nothing but Microsoft stuff and yeah. uh, and they have already how's made the demand? market going to do it if he continues to put out market leading products at, at competitive well, prices well as long as we buy them that's great but there's the market's changing. The market is starting to get a little peeved with some of the stuff coming. Well, I guess you Bill, could say that about IBM, for instance, was so dominant at one sure. point you couldn't imagine anybody else eclipsing them, and yet no, well, well they couldn't. They couldn't imagine it for right. sure. <laughs> and, and believe me, it's going to happen to Bill Gates, and it's going to happen to the next guy. Everything comes in cycles. It's all. Uh, you know, whoever rises to the top for that period of time. It's all I stand by, I stand by my prediction. <laughs> I stand by my prediction. I predict that at some point we will see, and it may be 5, 10, 15, 20, 30 years from now, Bill Gates will emerge as one of the greatest philanthropists this planet has ever seen. Uh, Ralph joins us. Good morning, Ralph. Hello, Ralph. 
Hello, well, uh, Ralph doesn't join us. <laughs> uh, sorry, Ralph, we did what we could. Um, to come back to the banks again in terms of, and Bob, I'm going to ask you this, because I suspect that your answer is going to be different from Jeff's, even though all three of us have agreed about a lot of things about the banks. Uh, best of all possible worlds, best for, best for the Canadian consumer, best for everyone. What kind of banking system do we want to see here? Uh, what kind of banking yeah, system? what do we want? Absolutely wide open, totally. The Bob Metz Bank, if you want to open one? Uh, ultimately, that's what I would prefer, yeah. I think we should have a private banking system. Should you uh, have to insure the funds that are on deposit? I mean, should people who come to you... Uh, no, I, I, I don't think it should be imposed by a government edict, and, and believe me, that is a scam, the, the Canada Deposit yeah. Insurance thing. So if I want to put my money in your bank, it's up to me to find out whether you're, it's, it's insured or not. If you want my money... And this, well, is, this is the theory. You are more likely to make arrangements so my deposits are insured. A are bank not? is no different than any other business, or should I put it this way, should not be different than any other business. It should be operating in a marketplace. It should have built a reputation. I mean, uh, consumers have to be beware of who they deal with, and you've got to look into somebody's reputation. If a bank has a clean reputation, then that's all you really need to go on and if you know there's a lot of things like the templeton fund and other things that people invest money in based on the faith of the past performance of of mm -hmm. those entities and there's no reason why banks shouldn't be treated the same way and uh, i do see that coming to a great degree i, I see uh, you know stan was asking what happens you know if the bank of montreal and royal bank merge we're going to be left with fewer choices well the answer is yes if that's where it stops but I think one of the reasons they're looking at merging is because they kind of know the market's going to change, that the, multi, the other multinationals around the world are going to move in. So I would say we're going to have more choices. And I would also suggest to you that, uh, again, from my own experience, any company that merges and they keep merging, eventually they break apart into 100 pieces. We have to pause for a moment. There's lots more to come. The show is doing anything but breaking apart. In fact, we'd like to add some pieces to it. That's your phone calls at 643-1290. Left, right, and center with Bob Metz on the right, Jeff Schlemmer on the left, and Jim Chapman somewhere flopping around in the center. And we have Emily with us. Good morning, Emily. Hello. Hi. I'm very confused. Yes. I, I, I've been listening to the different attitudes and different things, and, and basically I've, I've got money I have to invest, and I don't know the first thing about investments. Who do I trust? Oh, well, I'll, I'll give you the answer to that, Emily, and it's not an easy answer. Um, if you are looking for an investment advisor, the best thing you can do, in my estimation, is to talk to your friends. Talk to people who have advisors, because there are, as you know, literally thousands of them out there. I know. Um, so I don't trust some of them. Are, well, some of them are good, some of them are bad, some of them are indifferent. Um, I could give you two or three names. I wouldn't do it on the air. We do have an investment fellow who does a show with us on Saturday mornings. Bill McDougall, I know a lot of people are happy with what Bill does, but there are a lot of other good people around, and Bill will tell you that too, lots of other good people in the, in the area here who, uh, who are investment advisors. But the only advice that anybody can give you that makes any sense at all, in my opinion, is talk to your friends and neighbors. Ask them who's taking care of them, and are they happy with the job they're doing. What about a financial advisors at the bank you deal with? Well, if you know people who are getting happy results from that, then by all means. But... I would never go to a bank just because it was the bank and because they tell me their advisors are good. I would never do that. I'd want to talk to everybody I could find who's got investments out there, and I would ask them, how are you doing? How happy are you? What, what kind of service are they giving you? Are they giving you the education you want? Are you getting the return on your investment that you think is reasonable? 
Well, I all I I want income vestment. I'm past the age of 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 RRSP. Yeah, well, it's uh, the, all it it still apply. The, the a, a good financial planner is still the bottom line. Now you've got a, two or three options there too, Emily. And uh, I'll share this with you because I'm right now going through a restructuring of some of the some of my investments. So we're we're doing a lot of this stuff. Um, you have people who sell product, and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, if they're good people and they're doing a good job, then they're good people to talk to. You also have people though who are independent advisors who don't buy and sell anything. All they do is give you advice. There aren't nearly as many of them, uh, but there are some of them out there too. And uh, I wouldn't be afraid to ask my banker, um, and they'll say, well, we'll do it for you. But I wouldn't be afraid to say, well, I'd like some other options, and I'd like to know what you think those options should be. A good banker will give you those options. Well, the one question I did ask, was this bank going to be here a year from now? Well, if you, if you have less than 60000 I, I want to deal with a bank where I can walk in and see a face. Well, well <laughs> now there's a problem. That's a problem, Emily, and no, I don't think anybody, they'll all tell you that, but who knows? But if you've got your, if you've got your investments spread in le with less than $60,000 deposit in any one chartered Canadian bank, uh, your money's safe. Whether it grows or not is a whole other story. Mm -hmm. I, w I, w I really wish there was a simple answer, because if there were, there'd be, everybody listening to this program would probably be glad to, ha glad to have the answer, but there isn't one. You really, it, you really have to shop around. It's like shopping for anything else. You have to shop around. If you're going to buy a product, you want a product that, that either you know something about or that's got a good track record. And, and the only way you find that is to ask your friends and ask your neighbors. Mm -hmm. Do you have, uh, do, I mean, are there people you could ask who have investments that you could ask them who their people are? Um, yeah, I guess I can. Yeah. I mean, that's the, that really is the only answer. Well, I've been sitting for a year tr trying to figure out what to do. Yeah. And, and what, I'm, what I've been getting on my investment so far has been practically nil. Are you in GICs now? No, I'm just on a T-bill. What, what are they paying now? Uh, a little over 2%. Yeah, I see, a little uh, less than 2%. GICs, I know you can get GICs that are doing better than four right now. Some of them, you have to shop around for them. But, uh, yeah, but the point is, that is what I can't do. Shop around. I, well, I don't know anything about it. I mean, you can educate me, but my short-term memory isn't that good. It's all Dutch to me when I get talking to them. Yeah, yeah. Well, then you really need somebody you can trust, don't you? That's right. Yeah. And who do you trust? Well, <laughs> that's what I'm at. That's what I want to know. I, I've Emily, re I've been reading and yeah. reading and reading, and from all, all I can see, all they're interested in is building up for their retirement. Well, Emily, I'll, I've reached my retirement. Here's what I'll, here's here's what I'm going to suggest to you. If you phone me off the air after the show. Right. 686-2525. 2525 If you phone me off the air, I will give you a couple of suggestions. I, I, I won't do it on the air, but, but if you phone me off the air, I'll give you a couple of suggestions of places you might look, but it's still ultimately going to be up to you. Okay. Okay? Thank you. All right. Thanks, Emily. Bye-bye. A little bit off what we're talking about, but I know for so many people out there are so frustrated because what do you do? Well, one of the things that comes back to, we always talk about who do you trust on this. I was struck by a remark about a month ago, the superintendent of financial institutions federally gave a speech and he talked about being concerned about um, corporate uh, compensation in banks. He said the problem with these guys making such immense increases each year, millions of dollars. The uh, head of uh, RBC Dominion Securities last year was over $9 million. He said the problem is they start to believe their, believe their own press, and he's worried that they're going to get too cocky. 
you know, and, and start to think that they're invincible and they can yeah. do no wrong. And, and you see this empire building, and when you t take his remarks in context of the merger, it's sort of like, oh, this is what he's talking about. Is that what this is about? Well, and, and I think there's a political parallel there, too, and, and I think he's absolutely right. Um, political parallel is, is uh, you know, dictators, uh, absolute uh, power corrupting, absolutely. People get to believe their own press, as you say, and the empire collapses and they go down to ruin. But the tragedy is that it's all the little, it's all the little citizens of the empire that get hammered. And there's that danger with the banks, too. We have to pause for just a second back to wrap up this edition of Left, Right, and Center with uh, Bob Metz and Jeff Schlemmer right after this. With Bob Metz and Jeff Schlemmer and Jim Chapman talking about banks and finances and so on today. Um, I guess the, uh, since we haven't got much time left, Bob, I want to put a final question to you. You said earlier that there really should be no constraints on salaries because what we really care about is the price of the product. That if we're happy with the price, am I correct in From that? From the consumer's From point of view. From the consumer's sure. point of view. Does the consumer not have an interest, though? Should the consumer have no, or is there any way a consumer can exercise control? You used the example of a fellow who makes a widget for a dollar, sells it for nine. Another fellow makes a widget for eleven dollars, sells it for twelve. He only makes a buck. The other guy makes nine bucks. We're going to be happier with the cheaper price. Is there any economic mechanism, though, that, that can allow us to compel or to encourage the fellow with the one dollar cost to maybe bring his price a little more in line with his cost of production is absolutely there? it's called competition and that means having another guy come in there who can produce it at the same price uh the guy who's producing the widget at the exorbitant price is, shouldn't be in the marketplace because he's he's working for nothing mm -hmm. he, he, he's the arbiter of his own wages so it's up to him to either adopt more efficient methods and often that means laying other people off, becoming more automated, or even hiring people. It depends upon the nature of the service he's offering. Mm -hmm. But uh, certainly, as long as you have competition, uh, it, it just naturally flows that you're going to have the lowest price offering because somebody's always in there trying to make a buck. You know, it's that desire to make a profit and to, to be a millionaire and to be rich that, a that absolutely cuts prices for people in the long run because if we don't have enough people wanting to do that you don't you don't become a millionaire because you have a single transaction and make a million bucks although that happens rarely you know sports mm -hmm. figures and stuff but usually it's because you've become efficient at something and created a zillion transactions for a million people very cheap transactions that happens to accumulate your way you're the producer of the good they're buying and that's how you get rich and when other people see you make money in a certain field, they'll want to get into that field too. And, and it's just a matter of uh, the marketplace generally leveling itself up. How do we prevent monopoly in the absence of government intervention? Because I know you're not there a fan There is no of such thing control. as a monopoly in the absence of in the in the absence of government intervention. Oh come on! Name me a monopoly that does not exist without government. Well, you and I, you and I could have you and I could have one though. You and I could have one. Well, Jeff's the guy who makes the widgets for eleven bucks. You and I come along. I can make it for a buck, I'm going to sell it for 10, I'm going to get all the customers. So I set up my little business. You come along and say, gee, there's a lot of business out there. I could do the same thing, Chapman. I'm as smart as he is. I'm going to build the plan. I'm going to build them for a buck, too. Now, I can sell them for nine bucks and get some of his business, but then he's just going to cut his price to nine bucks and I'm not going to be any further ahead. Or he and I can go out for a cup of coffee and say, Schlemmer's out of here. We got rid of him. That's the two of us. We'll leave our price at 10 bucks. Yeah, and that's what business is all about. If, if you can get away with it, if there's no, if there's no external no, control, the, the there's no competition. The well, it's just like saying that a variety store in a small town with with four houses is, has a monopoly on that area. It's just there's only so much the market will bear, and, and it doesn't. That's not what a monopoly is. A monopoly is when you are legally prohibited from entering a field of endeavor. You and I no, can't no, no, get a together and have when a one company sells all of something. 
no, that's no. A monopoly. No, 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 no. That's a monopoly in a market means that other people are legally prohibited. Look at anything. No, no. The post office has a monopoly because you and I cannot deliver letters. Banks have a monopoly there can because be a you and I cannot monopoly, legally. But the monopolies we're talking about are when one company corners the market, and that's the goal of any good company is to grab as much market share as they can. I saw Matthew Barrett speak last year, the chair of the Bank that of Montreal. Just makes it they the said, most "What's your most important market? objective for this year?" He didn't say increase profitability. He said, "I want to double my market share." Well, that's great. <laughs> that's what it's all about. And you know, from, you talk yeah, to. I'm just going to whisper in here because they're still arguing. <laughs> but, uh, we will be back next Wednesday with more Left, Right, and Center with Bob Metz and Jeff Slimmer. I have a sense maybe we've stumbled onto another topic here for another day. Maybe we'll take a look at monopolies next week. Thank you guys for coming in. The pleasure is